So, Rachel. Yeah. A trip to Deneva reveals parasitic creatures have devastated the planet, driving the inhabitants insane. What do you think you're going to get this episode? Ooh. Will the parasites be visible, do you think? Hmm. Do you remember this one? Oh, yes, I do. Oh, they might drop down onto people's heads and be worn as hats <laughs> attached to their brains. But they may not have the budget for that puppetry. Yeah. What kind of insane? Will they be raving around, beaming, topless fencing? If Kirk's infected, then hopefully we'll get the shoulder rip and injection. I miss that. If women are in it, then they're probably the parasites. Oh, damn. Mission to annihilate parasites? Draw them into a different host and then destroy that, maybe? They won't test it on those poor horn dogs, will they? Horn dogs? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no horn dogs were harmed. Good. <laughs> Captain's log, stardate 3287.2. The mass insanity we have tracked across this section of the galaxy seems to have already touched Deneva. That planet colonized over a century ago is one of the most beautiful in the galaxy. Welcome to Rachel Watches Star Trek. And hello. I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. Uh, this is the season finale for the first <gasps> season of Star Trek. Good grief. Did you ever think we'd get here? No, I didn't think that was going to happen. This is amazing. A year and a half later, is it? <laughs> well, yeah, it took us a while. <laughs> wow. It'll go faster now since we're doing three episodes a month. Mm -hmm. The next season is also 30 episodes. That's 10 months. Oh. And for our Patreon subscribers, you're going to be able to hear the season wrap-up episode. It's just going to be me asking Rachel about her experience so far and her impressions of the first season. I also want to bring up our sponsor. Yeah. La Belle Esplanade. Mm -hmm. It's a lovely hotel that they've been sponsoring us for a few months now down in New Orleans. They uh, have a blog that just came up that specifically talks about our show. Uh -huh. And it's very good. I don't think it spoils too much mm. but the phrase space hippies Ooh, is thrown about that's so good. <laughs> i recommend highly if you can't get to new orleans and stay at this hotel definitely go check out the blog la belle esplanade.com la belle esplanade so one thing about this episode is that when i was a kid this freaked the heck out of me <laughs> like it really scared me Aww. and i mentioned it to my dad that we watched it he remembered me watching this and i go man and I, I, that really scared me he goes oh yeah oh, oh. <laughs> what's strange about it is that the things that scared me don't look scary at all they look mm. quite ridiculous oh. yet i still felt anxious the yeah. whole episode like i had the hairs on the back of my neck went up and Ooh. like there's some deep-seated childhood fear. I'm getting ahead of myself. Yeah, let's jump on let's, in. So, the USS Enterprise is approaching Deneva. Kirk looks heavy-hearted already. Uh, they can't make contact, and Spock's research shows a pattern of mass insanity spreading across the galaxy. Kirk's brother is on Deneva with his family. He has a brother? I forgot about that, too. Oh, I hope they get a chance for a nice long weekend of catching up. <laughs> 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 Sulu picks up a small Denovan craft heading for the sun. Oh no, now we're heading for the sun. <laughs> Kirk orders an interception course and they pursue it. They hear the pilot's transmission. I did it. It's finally gone. I'm free. Just before the ship burns up and the Enterprise pulls away from the sun. So it too does not burn up. 
Ooh, that's sinister, isn't it? Yeah. There's been no contact with this planet for a year. Uhura hears a woman speaking on the private transmitter channel. What's that? I guess it's not the official channels. It's just somebody's like ham radio that they're talking oh, into, okay. you know? <laughs> and Kirk gets all snippy with her about it. Yeah. She's assertive and professional, but she ain't taking no guff. Yes. I like that go Uhura. Yeah, it was good because he's being a jerk. And, yeah. And she just is really calm. Asserts you, what she did, uh-huh. that it was right. Yeah. I guess she appreciates that he is stressed because his brother's on this planet. Yeah. And his nephew. So the landing party is Kirk, Spock, McCoy, Scott, Yeoman, Zahara. Who's a really stunning African-American actress. Yeah. They got all these great other actresses in there and we just get them for like an episode. Yeah. Such a ripoff. And Bobby. His last name is Bobby. Oh, Bobby Bobby. Yeah. Robert Bobby. Robert Bobby. (laughs) Kirk wants the yeoman to take a complete transcript of everything that happens. What do you think about a human being required for that task? Huh. I guess they would all have to write a report afterwards. She seems to be a secretary on this mission. But isn't that a job for the tricorder? The tricorder can only record visual and audio recordings, which is pretty much what a person could (laughs) record. But I guess she might pare it down to just the essentials. Yeah. Mm. And people wouldn't have to necessarily go through a bunch of footage, try to figure out what exactly is going on. God, it'd make taking minutes more interesting, wouldn't it? That'd be a cool job to yeah. be able to write down what happens on a, on a boarding party. I'd be cool with that. Well, at least it's not another sausage fest. Yes. They're struck at how quiet the capital city is. No one is around. That saves money on extras and costumes. Yeah. Also, it was very creepy. Mm. This whole episode is really creepy intense. Now, yeah. it could be from my childhood trauma of watching oh, this and oh. maybe at a too young of an age. I don't know. It looks like a community college. I think it part of the USC campus. Oh. A group of four raving crazed guys runs at them and they're screaming and they've got like these acrylic rods in their hands and they're yelling, go away, we don't want to hurt you. But then they start moving to attack them. Mm-hmm. So Kirk and the gang stun them with the phasers. How did you feel about their condiment colored jumpsuits? <laughs> Delicious. Mm. <laughs> McCoy's tricorder shows that the nervous systems of the unconscious men are violently active, as if they're somehow still being stimulated. Mm. It reminds me of some people who've experienced trauma and can remain in a high state of arousal even during sleep, oh. to the extent that they feel like they've run a marathon when they wake up in the morning. Uh, a scream draws them to a lab where a woman is hysterical and a man and a child lie on the floor. It's Kirk's brother Sam and his family. Is it Shatner in a moustache? We didn't really get a good look at him. There's a family resemblance, but I couldn't tell if it was him. Probably not. I was a little freaked out because there was a kid on the floor that I was like, oh my God, is that kid dead? Is that a dead kid? Mm. That's terrible. That kid can't be dead. That's what I was thinking the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to reassure yourself. But no, but he's just unconscious, the the kid. But Sam is dead. Sam is dead. We hear about him and he's dead already. Mm. There's also a woman there who's screaming hysterically and McCoy immediately sedates her. (laughs) Kirk's reaction to his brother's death is understated, but he allows himself a few moments to process it. He leans against a wall for support. Spock comes to say, I understand how you feel, but Kirk shuts him down immediately. This made me realise that Kirk has almost as tight a grip on his emotions as his BFF. Mm. He's very controlled over what he allows himself to feel. And I think he's one of those people who refuses any empathy or support because it might open up feelings for them. Mm. Well, I mean, he's got a job to do Mm -hmm. as well. And it could be other people's lives on the line. He's got to keep focused and try and not dwell on his emotions at the time i understand Mm -hmm. there's evidence that something was trying to force its way in uh, through the ceiling ventilation they take arellan and the son scott back to sickbay arellan through her pain tells kirk what happened they came 
eight months ago. Things. Horrible things. Visitors brought them in their vessel from a planet. Igrafee. What kind of thing? Not the ship's crew's fault. The things made them bring their ship here. It's important that you tell us what kind of things. Not their fault. When she answers questions, any questions, it's as if she's fighting to get the answers out. As though something is exerting pain to stop her. They use it to control us. They're spreading, Jim. They need us to be their arms and legs. They're forcing us to build ships for them. Don't let them. Don't let them go any further. Ooh. It's the sparkly bed gurning exposition acting <laughs> challenge yet again. <laughs> I think she does a better job than most, though. Yeah. In spite of the bizarre Barbarella slash Louis XIV wig, <laughs> she still manages to pull it off. And McCoy sedates her again. He loves doing that. Did you hear that Rachel Maines hypothesized that doctors from the classical era up until the early 20th century commonly treated hysteria by masturbating female patients to orgasm? Mm-hmm. I that, did know that. <laughs> did you? <laughs> oh, yeah. And that the inconvenience of this may have driven the early development of the market for the vibrator, mm-hmm. although Maines has said that her theory should be treated as a hypothesis rather than a fact. It struck me as dated that they immediately sedate her every time that she becomes emotional. Yeah, Mm. it does. She tells them that the creatures control the Denovan people with pain. She implores Kirk to prevent these creatures from spreading any further across the galaxy. And then she dies. Ooh, yikes. So Kirk heads back to the landing party. They can hear buzzing and they follow it indoors where they discover these strange creatures on the ceiling. They look like wet, slightly bloody, underdone pancakes. (laughs) I'm surprised you make pancakes every Saturday, Chris, after all this trauma. They don't look like that. They look, they, they're like big plastic things and they pulse and they're creepy and they made kind of weird, almost farting sounds. Not really? They were a little squelchy. Yeah. So they use a but face. But not funny. But not funny. Uh, yeah. These things freaked me out as a kid. And when I saw them, even though they're cheap plastic things mm-hmm. on string. And totally immobile. Yeah. It, Most of the time. It it creeped me out still. They use their phasers set to kill, but it mm. barely affects them and they don't register on Spock's tricorder. Use the silicone-based setting. <laughs> Kirk orders them all out, but one of the pancakes leaps on Spock's back as he passes. It's allowed to stay on there for ages before Kirk rips it off. Spock's shirt is intact, but we're used to suspending our disbelief with that one, that it's penetrated through it into his body. If it was just a little needle injection, it wouldn't leave much of a hole. Mm, I guess so. It's Nimoy's turn now for the sick bay acting gurning challenge. (laughs) Yeah, I was worried, but he did really well. Yes. Subtle, but clearly fighting pain. Yeah, McCoy removes the strand of the tissue from Spock's spine in surgery, and then he closes the wound. Sidewig is there. She doesn't like that McCoy closes the wound after doing no more surgery. Yeah, because she can see that there's a bunch of stuff in there Mm. still. And she's like, why are you closing it up? And he's like, look, we're closing it up. Help or get out. Yeah. 
So McCoy explains to Kirk that the creatures implant tissue in their victims, which infiltrates the entire nervous system too completely for surgery to remove. Ooh, they seem more like jellyfish now. I'm not going in the sea for a while. <laughs> this is one of these things in my sci-fi critiquing brain mm -hmm. is like, why don't they just transport the thing out of him? Oh, yeah, I've thought that too. If they can reconstruct someone on a molecular level, can't they just reconstruct them without that in it? Yeah. Yeah. You would think, mm -hmm. but eh, all right, for some reason they can't. Yeah. Spock comes to and he jumps up, heads out of sick bay. Chapel phones it into the bridge. Kirk calls a security alert, but hey, they don't have to worry about it because Spock pops up on the bridge and he just tries to take over the ship. Ah! And he fights off like four dudes at yeah. once. So they finally pin him down so McCoy can sedate him. Oh, at least he gets sedated too, I guess. Yeah. Why is he so super strong? Just Vulcans are stronger than humans. Whoa. I guess they just want Vulcans to be better than humans. <laughs> it was hot, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he was really kicking ass. Uh, I, okay, sure. Hot is not the word I would have used, but cool. Respect. Respect, sure. They take him back to sickbay and they strap him down. McCoy brings Kirk in and tells him that the pain indicator is super high. McCoy believes the parasite is using pain to control its hosts and that the pain is so high that it drives people mad. Ooh. Spock comes to and claims that the pain is under control. He has Vulcan mental training. He rocks balls. Whoa, that is impressive. <laughs> it's like me giving birth the second time. <laughs> <laughs> However, Spock claims that he's ready for duty, but, you know, I'm with Kirk on this one. No way. Mm. What if he finally breaks? There's a, an alien entity in his nervous system. Yeah. As much as I trust Spock, you just can't put that much on him at this moment, you know? Right. Especially since he's super strong. Plus, he loves him. <laughs> yes. They leave Spock alone and he freaking busts out of the restraints. Yeah. Just rips them up like he's the Hulk or something. And then he gets out of sick bay. He shows up in the transporter room, back in uniform with a little carrying case, and he has his tricorder and a phaser. Scott and Leslie are there, and they're like, whoa, we thought you were in sick bay. And Spock says, oh, no, I'm better. <laughs> captain wants me to do this mission. Scott says, the captain ordered us that nobody gets off the ship. And Spock goes, well, I gave you a direct order. And he goes, okay, but the captain's got to A-OK -okay that before I let you beam down. So Spock goes and nerve pinches Leslie. Yeah. And he's going to go for Scotty too, but Scotty gets a phaser on him and tells him to freeze. Yeah, Scotty's nobody's fool. Perhaps the only person on board who has learned from all the other disasters we've seen. <laughs> <laughs> Scott calls Kirk down. Lucy, you got some splaining to do. <laughs> Who's Lucy? I love Lucy. Oh, right. She would get up to shenanigans. Oh, is that what you'd say? And then Ricky would come in and he goes, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. <laughs> what race was he? He... <laughs> He was, was he Cuban? He was oh, Cuban. Okay. Yeah, he was Cuban. Yeah. All right, fair enough. So Kirk wants to know, of course, what the hell's going on. And Spock explains that he was going to go down to the planet to collect one of these creatures. Since he's already infected, they can't do anything to him. He's the perfect person for the job. And since Kirk wasn't going to let him go, he had to take matters into his own hands. Kirk thinks this over and says, yeah, all right. <laughs> and McCoy's like, are you cray cray? What are you doing, man? He's being controlled by a parasite. But Spock says, I am in control. And Kirk believes him. This has got to be one of the best Spock episodes so far. Yeah. What is the closest you've got to this level of badassery? Either yourself or that you've observed in real life? Hmm. Maybe some film shoots, you know, staying awake for 24 hours doing stuff. And yeah. for me personally, those kind of stamina and being able to focus and oh, get yeah. things done and... 
Have you ever seen me carry both children up the stairs? That's pretty good. Yeah. That's one really on the front, good. one on the back. Yeah, that's that's impressive and dangerous. You shouldn't do that. <laughs> I, do, oh no. I do hold them both. <laughs> but yeah. So Spock beams down and is attacked by one of the possessed people, but he easily beats him off. <laughs> Spock goes into that room, zaps one of the pancakes and collects it with huge plastic tongs. Still, he keeps creeping around as though they might not notice him. Can't they sense him? I don't I don't know. And he's just zapped one of them. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he makes it back to the Enterprise. Mission accomplished. Whoa. Now, they've got this thing in a little acrylic jar hooked into a bunch of equipment. McCoy says that it's like one giant brain cell. It's a big one-celled a organism. massive one cell. Yeah. Hmm. Kirk says that these things are all part of one big entity, like a hive mind. How they're connected is a mystery, however. These things work in ways that are beyond their understanding. They're a single cell, but they can move independently. Mm -hmm. Like microbots or something. But All the tiny little things that make up one robot hive mind thing. Oh, nanobots. Kind of like that, yeah. Or, or just microbes, amoebas. But they're connected to each other in some way that they don't know how. And I think that that might be holdover from another earlier version of the script as well. Oh. Why do they act independently, though? They could have taken out the whole landing party at once if they had the shit together. Yeah, that's true. It wouldn't have been a good episode because then the whole ship would have got taken over by the things. And... <laughs> yeah, but they are quite rubbish, aren't they? They just hang around on the ceiling, but yet we're supposed to believe they've taken over several galaxies. I believed it. I know you did. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so McCoy has tried a bunch of different ways to kill it Heat, radiation, nothing is working Everyone thinks Kirk is worried about his nephew and Spock But he's like, I'm worried about something else Because if we can't fix this I've got to destroy the planet to stop the infection Eesh. Whoa, okay, oh. that's pretty heavy so he demands a third alternative. They think about the guy going into the sun and how he said he was free. So that must be the key. Hmm. Something to do with the sun killed the infection. But what? It's not radiation. It's not heat. But Kirk, he thinks and he goes, <laughs> light. The things seem to be lurking in the shadows, avoiding the light. Not really. Well, they weren't outside. Yeah, but how did they get the whole population? Weren't people cotton on to the idea of staying outside for safety? Well, it's not that that kills them at that range. Remember how close it had to get to the sun before it killed the thing. Yeah, so they could go outside. So they, they could go outside. Prefer just prefer not to. Yeah, for, you know, long periods of time. So McCoy rigs up a room with light emitters and calculates the light from the distance when the ship went into the sun. And it works. The thing dies. You did it, Kirk. I feel kind of disappointed in McCoy and the three labs worth of scientists who didn't think of this, though. Does Kirk have to do everything? Yeah. So Spock volunteers to go in next, but McCoy doesn't want to risk his life. He says to Kirk in private, Spock's one of Starfleet's best officers. We can't risk it. Oh. But Spock insists uh, the light is super bright and could potentially blind him. So McCoy says, well, at least put these goggles on. But Spock says, no one on Deneva will have goggles. Oh. So Kirk agrees. Come on! <laughs> I get what Spock's going on about. They have to test it as it's going to be tested on those people on the planet. Sure. I, I get it. However, why do this? Yeah, like, there are this... loads of other variables that will be different down there. Exactly. Pointless risk to take. Spock goes in. The thing dies within him, but he comes out blind, bumping into a table. Yeah. Spock says it's an equitable trade from being in control of the thing. Man, this guy's stoical. <laughs> There's your post-World War II generation again. <laughs> yeah. So just then, some lab results come in. Oh, check it. Its weakness is ultraviolet light. <laughs> he didn't have to deal with the visible oh. light at all. Oh, no. 
If only they just listened to McCoy. Oh, waited a couple of seconds. The professional medical expert. <laughs> Kirk is angry at McCoy. What? Who apologizes. He shouldn't have. But now they have a plan. They will deploy a few hundred satellites with UV emitters all around the planet, then release them. They release them and it works. They can do that? Sure. You just saw it happen. <laughs> I feel like they could have used that technology or that rapidity of production in other episodes. Yeah, well, maybe they just have a bunch of satellites on board or maybe they... I don't know. Just I don't, in case. I don't know. Or maybe maybe a lot of time passed before they were able to do that. And they just mm -hmm. quarantined the planet. Yeah. Anyway, well, all the creatures on the planet are dead. And this is the part where Kirk says, Bones, don't beat yourself up over Spock being blind. Mm -hmm. To which McCoy's response should have been, I'm not beating myself up over this. I told you to not let him do it without goggles. I have a very clear conscience. <laughs> yeah. At the end, Spock turns up and can see mm, on yay. the bridge. Yeah, everything's fine. Turns out Vulcans have an inner eyelid that protects their eyes. <laughs> Surprise, Spock didn't bring that up earlier. <laughs> Maybe that's why he suggested no goggles, so he could show off about being biologically different and better again. <laughs> Unusual eye arrangement. I might have known he'd turn up with something like that. What's that, Uncle? I said, please don't tell Spock that I said he was the best first officer in the fleet. Why, thank you, Dr. McCoy. You've been so concerned about his Vulcan eyes, Doctor. You forgot about his Vulcan ears. Ahead, walk back to one, Mr. Sulu. <laughs> McCoy's almost breaking the fourth wall there with that line with the I might have known he'd turn up with something like that Spock is going to pull something out of his ass to be awesome that feels like the writer saying to the audience it's oh. like it's Spock he's going to come up with some trick you know you think he's blind guess again oh, okay I loved that ending that was my favorite little bantery bit at the end Really nice season end with McCoy being sneakily affectionate towards Spock and Spock being proud of his recovery and difference. Yeah. It's cute. I really loved all this episode, actually. Mm. I thought it was really compelling and, and well-paced and, and interesting. Yeah. So let's get into it. Concepts. How did I do with my predictions? Visible parasites? Yeah. Yeah. You said might drop down on people's heads. Yeah, they weren't worn as hats, but... But they did drop down on people. <laughs> they could have been. Yeah. No topless fencing. That wasn't... That Kirk wasn't infected. There was no Spock shoulder did rip. did try and beam. It's true. Uh, mission to annihilate the parasites? So, mm, something, but not great. Not bad. So, an intergalactic pandemic... A totally different life form, invulnerable to anything which would kill carbon-based life. Wildly voracious, though not quite sure how they managed it. They seemed a bit rubbish. Uh, yeah, yeah. But again, it's a loser planet in a loser galaxy where no one has succeeded at all or succeeded in communicating how far they've got with their research. Yeah. And it's up to Starfleet to swoop in and save them again. At great personal peril, of course. Well, yeah. <laughs> like a bunch of losers. <laughs> Yeah. Starfleet likes a nice planet of victims, don't they? That, they know where they stand with that. Well, I guess it could be, you know, this uh, this utopian societies. They got weak because yeah. everything's too easy for them. So when they face a challenge, they don't know how to deal with it. And that's what Starfleet's oh, for. right, right. Was it a utopian planet? I would argue that all of Starfleet is utopian. Were they humans? Yeah. It's an Earth colony. It's a colony. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Thought Sam was just there doing research. The script, as it was originally conceived, did not envision the parasites being killed with light. Instead, the Enterprise leaves Deneva and destroys their home planet. Ooh. By effectively annihilating the central brain that controls their operation, the ship renders the, all the other creatures harmless. Ooh. So I think that might have been, 
you know, when they talked about it being part of a brain and mm. all that stuff, because that doesn't really go anywhere. No. So I think that was a holdover from the original script. Right. You know, too, the kid, Peter, his name's Kirk as well. What, in real life? No. <laughs> the character. Is he? Well, Kirk's brother would be Kirk as well. Sam Kirk. All right. James Kirk. Sam Kirk. So yeah. that kid's Peter Kirk. Peter Kirk. So that kid's Kirk too. It's kind of weird. I don't know. It just struck me because there was this also was a, a cut scene at the end of it where Peter Kirk, he's got a little captain's outfit on and yeah. he's and Kirk is talking to him and Peter is sitting in the captain's chair as he's like saying, you're going to go live with your dad's friend, Dave or somebody. What? I don't that happened? Yeah. Well, that they shot it. There's a picture. You can go see a picture oh, of it. Oh, oh, it wasn't in the episode. No, no, no. It was, right. a, cut, it was a cut scene. I was wondering if anyone was going to look after the nephew or go to the brother's funeral. Yeah. Maybe they had a complex relationship, him and Kirk. Could be. What did it add to it that Kirk had relatives there? Well, it just made him more emotionally invested, I guess, into the whole thing. But not really. Yeah. Didn't really go anywhere, did it? Maybe it was that it gave him a little bit more depth with mm -hmm. his concern. It, it wasn't just about him not wanting to kill a planet full of people, mm. but it was also his concern for his nephew, the loss of his brother, his concern for Spock. Like yeah. There was a lot going on there. Since we wouldn't meet any of the other inhabitants, it was important that the ones we did meet had a personal connection yeah. to Kirk, I guess, perhaps. Yeah. Why does the creature kill Aurelan and Sam? Don't parasites need to keep the hosts alive? Yeah. Maybe it was mm. that she was fighting it so mm. hard that it killed her. Like it was fighting mm -hmm. back. And if it loses control, then it'll turn the pain up to 11. And then mm. that'll kill you. Unless you're Spock, of course. Yeah. The condiment guys were saying get away, but also threatening to brain them with clubs. So the parasite was making them attack, but their human part was trying to warn the crew, do you yeah. think? Mm -hmm. It was such silliness about blinding Spock. Why risk it when there's no need? Yeah, it was really silly. And the fact that it just went away. Yeah. Well, like yeah. five minutes later. You know, we like, knew it would, though. We course. can't leave him in that state. No, no, no. It's kind of a crappy thing to do on these shows when you do something to a character and you know that they're going to revert back to the base again. Yeah. No matter what. However, I did feel bad when Spock was blind. Mm. It bothered me. And watching it when it was first aired, they didn't necessarily know that a character was going to be in two more series. Right, no. It was weird we saw no other inhabitants. What was the reasoning for that? Why would the creatures want to keep everybody else away from them or out of sight? Or I were they all dead? Because it's creepy. And, yeah. and it's and easier It's easier on the budget, <laughs> like you said. You were talking about Spock there. I, I really thought his acting was great. Really good, yeah. he would pause a little bit every once in a while and kind of have focus on his face because he, he was in pain, but he was still doing stuff. Yeah. It wasn't over the top. It was really uh, solid acting. And that is lovely when we can see someone feeling but trying not to feel because we know it's not his strength to go full emotional. So this was just right for him. Mm -hmm. I liked the dilemma of, will we have to kill them all plus Spock and the nephew or let it spread to the next planet? Mm -hmm. And Kirk not even considering that a dilemma. He demanded a third option, yeah. as he often does. He, does. he won't take no for an answer. So I give it a seven. All right. Yeah, I thought the concepts were pretty good in this. It was very compelling. I give it an, an eight. For entertainment, however, what do you give it? Yeah, great Spock acting. Aurelan did pretty well with the gurning challenge. <laughs> she started off quite oddly with the same non-reaction for Sam's dead, but your son's alive. She seemed more bothered that Kirk was there. Kind of confused. Felt like she was yeah. dreaming or something. She's like, yeah. Yeah, so I think she's kind of out of her head. Yeah, she was sedated, I suppose, partially. 
Still, her Khan and Spock have got to be the top three of the Gurning Sparkly Bed Challenge. Man, what about the guy from the uh, the Mental Institution one? The the doctor that stuck oh, on there. Oh God, that was the worst. Yeah, that oh, the worst. The jizzing the, guy. The best. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really tense episode. Really enjoyed seeing Spock at his best. McCoy was more endearing as well. Mm-hmm. He was sensitive with Kirk about his brother's death and who wanted Kirk to be there when his sister-in-law wakes up, which was sweet yeah. and thoughtful. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lots of problem solving, alien silliness, positive banter towards Spock. Minus points for no Kirk foo and not mm. much heroic Kirk stuff. Yeah. But with the excellent acting and great writing, I give it an eight. Yeah, I'd say eight is a solid score. Sexiness. Eh. <laughs> I was pretty into the wrap over jumpsuits people occasionally had on. There was a hot yeoman. Yeah, oh yeah. Spock was sexy in his resistance, but Kirk wasn't in full twinkle mode, but all right. He had a lot going on. Yeah. I noticed Kirk spends a lot of this series squinting in the sun outside. (laughs) (laughs) Sunglasses would compromise his twinkling and his soulful looks, I know, but don't they have a lighting trick for it? Uh, maybe they do. Can't they cast a shadow on someone's eyes to stop them having to squint in the Californian I, I, sun? Maybe it's just dramatic to squint in the sun. Like, it looks sure. tough. It looks tough doing oh, it. Oh, yeah. So but, I give it a four. Yeah, not, not much for me here. It's two, I'd mm-hmm. say. And not, not much for sex scenes. But great episode. I, this is way better than I remembered it being as a kid, mm. mostly because it, it scared me as a kid. Yeah. Well, Rachel, that concludes our <gasps> coverage of the first season of Star Trek The Original Series. Head over to Patreon and sign up so that you can get our season end wrap up where we'll be looking at our top three episodes and our bottom three episodes and (laughs) investigating what some of the themes were. And if you're looking for entertainment and perhaps sexiness, then head over to La Belle Esplanade. (laughs) (laughs) Stay with them, read the blog, enjoy it. Yes, it's a wonderful hotel in the heart of New Orleans. Get down there and experience it. Our next official episode is going to be one of my favorites where mm-hmm. we get t- to learn about Spock's sexuality. Ooh. It's pretty nutty. <laughs> <laughs> a mock time. Whoa, that's going to get us off to a flying start. Rachel, thank you so much for enjoying, enduring, <laughs> yeah. participating in this podcast with me for the last year and a half. Wow, my goodness. That sounds so long. It's a long time. I've learned so much and then forgotten it all. (laughs) So it's a good job we're doing this season wrap up. Uh, And with that, I'm Chris Lackey. And I'm Rachel Lackey. And you've been listening to... Rachel Watches Star Trek. Trey!